Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hockey fans, if you'd like a copy of my new book, Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore, head on over to flankerpress.com. If you'd like a personalized copy for $25 plus shipping, email me at terryryan2020 at gmail.com. That's terryryan2020 at gmail.com. Welcome to episode 91 of Tales with TR. I had Jason McDonald ready to come on. I got the intro. I might as well. Nah, I'll wait. But something happened again, guys, with the Internet. Um, I don't know if it was mine or his. And I apologize. So it's just me again this week. And now I got to think of things to talk about. I just had Jason on. I had him on um, great PEI Islander. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I had him on the phone, but we just couldn't, I don't know. It wasn't working. So, huh? What am I going to do? I'm literally stuck. This is why I like recording them on Tuesday or Wednesday. Cause I got to get it out tonight. And yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll try to do one tomorrow or I don't know. I'm kind of hooped. So I might as well put something out into the universe, right? I might as well do that. And I suppose if I can get somebody tomorrow, I'll put out a 91A and a 91B. Um, anyway. Okay, so I just pressed pause and uh, I've been looking for an hour and I can't find anybody last minute. So... Let's see. Okay, one, two, try again. Okay, so I'm just going to answer some questions. This took me a bit off guard, but it's Thursday, so I'm going to put it out, and I'm going to work on maybe getting one tomorrow, but I suppose by the time this is listened to, we'll know the answer to that, so I'm just rambling. Okay, first one. Terry, are you surprised by the success at Michael Bunting from Carl in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan? Hmm, no, I'm not. And if you're from Moose Jaw, Carl, or just living there, you probably know the Moose Jaw Warriors that are in the Western Hockey League. So when I played in the Western Hockey League, there was a guy named Darcy Tucker who ended up being my roommate in Montreal, and I got to know pretty well. And if I know one thing about Tuck's, It's that 
he wasn't a great skater and he certainly didn't look fluent and he didn't fly out there swiftly but he had a great hockey IQ and he got the job done I think it's a decent comparison Tucks ended up playing for the Leafs you know he shot left he had he was tenacious I, I would think I would think Tux is more tenacious, and I think Tux is definitely tougher if it comes to dropping the gloves. But there's a similarity. And the thing is, Bunting scored wherever he went. Uh, I know that. I know last year he had 20, 21 or 22 games. He had 10 goals. I know that. So that's a fairly big sample size, and no one's really talking about it. That was in Phoenix. Hold on. i got to look this up. Um, so Sue Greyhounds, 57 games, 74 points, 37 goals, 57 games in the OHL, right? He goes to the A, gets sent down, but he had 23 goals, 17, 18 in the A, you know, he can score 67 games. Then he went to uh, Phoenix last year, Arizona, his first for a cup of coffee in the NHL, 21 games, 10 goals. So not, and then he got sent down to Tucson and in 16 games, he had seven goals. So, no, it doesn't surprise me. He's playing with Matthews and Marner, first of all. That, so that I should have said that first. And, I mean, not that. Yeah, I mean, one, it's a chicken or egg thing. He's playing with them because he's a good player. They wouldn't just put anybody there. And he can think, I think it's, you know, he can think with them. He has, he's a great thinker. So I think Michael Bunting is the kind of guy that is continually overrated. He's going to keep having to prove people wrong. And I think like in a contract year, if he just is down on his luck, you know, say four or five years from now, when he's a proven 20 goal scorer, time in and time out, you know, there might be a year he gets 11 and people are down on him, but it will always be, you know, if he goes in a slump, it'll always be, He's skating, right? And I know because that, that was kind of the case with me. Um, coming in, I, you know, yeah, I mean, I wasn't the swiftest, but, you know, I was given a chance as a first rounder. I, what I'm saying, there, there is a similarity, and I, I think it, it's, it's closer with, with Tux because Tux actually played in Toronto. You know, they're, they're out there, they're, they're surprising people. They work hard. They're not the greatest skaters. They're tenacious. They're tough. And in Bunting's case, I mean, going to the areas. I mean, there's, he's not going to, he's not close to Darcy Tucker when it comes to throwing the mitts, nor is he really when it comes to getting dirty. Let's be honest about it. But he is pretty good. He goes to the hard areas and he's more tenacious than anything. And he gets rewarded because he goes to the cage hard. And um, so, no, I'm not surprised one bit. Um, Yeah, I, 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 I don't see, I don't think this is a fluke. I think whatever he does in his NHL career, he's, you know, he's got 17 now. We're assuming a lot, but, you know, I think he's going to get over 20, possibly 25. And uh, he's at the beginning of his career. No, I don't think it's the only time he's going to do it. And uh, I think he's going to have a shot at 30 sometime. Because if he can prove he can play with Austin Matthews, isn't that nice on your resume? Right? I played with, or I played with Alexander Ovechkin. I mean, that would be, so whatever team you go to, even if you, if you suck, if you had a terrible camp, you're not doing anything, at some point the coach or coaches would go, you know what, Bunting played with Austin Matthews, and why don't we try him there, you know? So he will continually get shots on the first line. Um, no, I'm not surprised, and will he get 30 someday? Probably. Next question. Hey, Terry, who is your favorite leader in all of sports? From Samantha in Victoria, BC. Hmm. My favorite leader in all of sports. Okay. I'll name you one from each sport. In basketball, it's Steph Curry. I think in a sport that just lets the players run wild in, in, in so many categories. I mean, in like demands and the players definitely have the trump card in that league it's just you know like by that i mean like james harden just jumping team to team for 42 million and 
um, at the end of his time in, in Houston, was it? He was just started not trying and putting on weight and Kyrie Irving to be picking his spots, just take time off whenever he wants. Um, the contracts being given out, given the, what they're making. I don't know how they do it. Basketball players make like crazy, crazy coin. They're playing in the same rinks. Everybody else is playing in every arenas. It's re relatively the same price. I don't, I don't think they outsell the NFL and certainly not like the premier league and all that, but it yet, you know, Pascal Siakam is getting 30 million plus and Connor McDavid's at 14, but I'd understand that actually the hockey to basketball thing, but basketball, I think if you were to take, I had this conversation with my dad yesterday, the top players like per team, the top three or four or five players, I don't know by if basketball wouldn't have the most. Now I know Ronaldo and Messi and these guys in, in soccer worldwide, like there, there are crazy big contracts, but I'm, t I'm not counting endorsements. Now I'm talking about playing, or, or else you'd bring in Conor Mc McGregor and players like that or people like that. But, um, I mean, yeah, I think basketball just, they, they make out pretty well. Now there's only, you know, there's a starting lineup that gets most of the attention that can play more than half the game and shit like that. They're, okay, there, there's obviously specifics with each sport and I'm getting off topic. The question was leader, but I think Steph Curry, yeah, for, for basketball, because I do think he's a good leader. I think he puts, and he's careful in his interviews. He puts the team before himself um, and he does it without being cliche. He's a pretty interesting dude. Um, so it would be him. And I think Michael Jordan talking about someone retired. I, I watched the last dance. It didn't show me anything that I didn't already know. And I know he gets a bit of shit for being a bit of a slave driver. Um, when it comes to a teammate that's push and push and push and his, his, his teammates. And sometimes he might've seemed like an asshole, but I, I don't think any of it was malicious. They, they won all the, like, if I was on his team, I would have thanked him for pushing me. I didn't think it was out of sorts. And then, right, you get LeBron again, LeBron the other day. Well, you know, when it comes down to it, I'll just play where my son Bronny plays. It's just such a, it's, it's just, that's, that's why people, because there's an argument for LeBron, but that's the fucking reason people are, are really squeamish to get in his corner. It's just such an arrogant thing to say. First of all, your son got to fucking play there first. And then you got to assume that the owner or wherever the fucking the coach, everybody's going to want you to go there. You're aging. Yes, you're good, but it's weird. It's going to be weird. And someone like Sacramento or some shit will sign them because they want to sell jerseys. And then the kid's going to be there. Would you want to play with your dad? Really? Do you want your father on the road trips with you? I mean, come on. I wouldn't. For one game or some shit, maybe. It's, or if you're both all-stars, I guess, and there's no complaint from anybody, if you know, it's obvious. But if I'm Bronny James and I'm, I mean, I don't know, maybe he's going to be great as I understand that he's a real good player, but he's not LeBron. And I don't know if you can be picking your spots in the NBA. Yeah. I'm just going to play where he plays. Oh, oh, I see. So now his kid might get, who knows? Maybe his kid's not good enough, but now someone's going to sign him. Would you want to be that guy? There's people here in Newfoundland, like Carl English who fucking battled his whole life to play professional basketball and some people like that. There's only two rounds in the draft in basketball. At least there was. I don't know what there is now. Like 50-odd players get drafted. You kidding me? And just to just announce that he's one of the best in the world and then he's going to go to the NBA. Nothing against Bronny James, I think, but I think it's a hard position to be in. I love my dad. I love spending time with him. I wouldn't want him, like, on my fucking squad in a non-coat, like, in a player's role, like... What are you supposed to do? You know what I mean? He's like, did you brush your teeth, little Bronny? I, I don't know. Fuck that if it's me. But you asked me the leaders and I'm going off track again. So Steph Curry, baseball. I mean, I would say Mike Trout, but they don't win shit. Your team got to win something. So, I mean, you'd think the obvious. Let's say Toronto. There's a lot of Toronto Blue Jays fans. You'd say Vladimir Guerrero. But he doesn't speak English yet. And I just, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I. Not that you would just go to him, but there's some people in the league. He's one. Like, I, I, I'm. It's not a culture thing, you know. I, it's like hockey. They didn't have a European captain to win the Stanley Cup. I think till Lidstrom. It wasn't a culture thing. It just it took a while for that to climatize. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they're first coming. It's hard to be a leader when you're like, I don't know, fucking Vladimir Krutov, and you just came over from the fucking Cold War, and you don't know English. 
yeah, you can lead by example, but that goes so far. But eventually, right, Europeans became more frequent and now it's not an anomaly at all. There's lots of Europeans that are captain. But I think the same thing in baseball. We're in that stage where like, and Vladdy's what, his fourth or fifth year, like, you know, you're playing in Canada. If it's me, you, you just, I don't know. If it went the other way around, if I went to the Dominican, I think that's where he's from. I, I yeah, I mean, I, I think I'd at least give it effort. I, I, I know what you're saying. Well, you played in Montreal. Yeah, and I took courses. I'm not fluent. I can read it. I'm horrible. If I ended up staying there and being a fucking player that had to go to the press, of course, I would have tried harder. But, you know, four years later, I'm playing on the Cornerbrook Royals in the Newfoundland Senior League. Didn't think I need to be fluent in French. But it's there. If I ever needed it, I know how to my way around the language. Um, but anyway, I'm getting off base. So, yeah, I, I would take out some of the players, the best players. Or, you know, they're young and they're looking for a contract and there's things on their mind. And, you know, maybe it wouldn't be the best year to be like, you know, it's going to be a guy like Harper or Trout that that signed a big deal that 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 are good examples because not all of them are. But again, those guys haven't really won. Uh, and definitely not recently. I mean, you know, I could look into their past. I know they've had de decent seasons. But no World Series, and I don't know about the college. But, you know, yeah, I'm so leader, you're asking me. Look, baseball, I find it hard. But my favorite, I guess, of all time that I saw with my own eyes would be Derek Jeter. Not, like, personally. I mean, I watched him play. I don't know him. But I thought he said the right things at the right times. Him and Rodriguez were two generational players. I think Rodriguez, you know, he, he's on short. Rodriguez is on third. They're playing for the Yankees in some, some of their prime years. I just thought he was a better leader than Rodriguez. Rodriguez had more talent and definitely was an all-star more times. But, like, I just like the way he handled it. it was, I, I'm a big team first guy, and to me, that, that's a leader. Some people now would think a leader is, is someone that's great on Twitter, that, you know, like P.K. Subban or something. And, um, or does he even, you know, he's kind of out of the limelight. But you know what I'm saying, you know. Biz Nasty was, you know, he, was, he didn't have a big role on the ice, but he was a leader because not Twitter, but he was very vocal. He, you know, the first guy at the, at the events, it's not all Twitter and social media, but you know, outgoing with fans and players see that and absorb it and young players, it's nice for them to see that. So there's all kinds of ways to lead. I'm just saying, I thought Jeter as a player on the field and off the field and to everybody, he seemed to be the consummate professional. And that's kind of what I was getting at to Jordan. When I grew up, he seemed like Jordan always said the right thing and his team was first. Um, I mean, you know, LeBron gets the gets the uh, world championship trophy, whatever it's called, and uh, says, you know, now I want my respect. So if you're saying you're not getting respect because you're rated number two ever, I mean, again, how fucking cocky is that? And I think that's why people are down on LeBron, and I just can't get into his corner. I give him all the respect, but I know I'm being biased, but I go Jordan all the fucking way. Um, okay. Now, which one are we? We've gone. Oh, football. Okay, how could you not say Tom Brady? But he's retired. Patrick Mahomes seems like a great leader. I mean, he's up and down this year, but he's a fucking generational talent if there ever was one. And yeah, he's a team first guy. With some good endorsements. Doesn't seem to let it go to his head. I, I'd say Brady and, and Mahomes for, with or without getting right into it. And um there are lots of others just trying to think superstar status combined with, you know, um, attitude and all that. And in hockey, I don't know, man, it was always Steve Eisenman. Um, you know, for, for what you see, a lot of your impressions are formed when you're 10 or 12 years old. And those are big years. I know. I mean, I've read that in, in books like it, psychologically. So I know I'm being biased. I'm picking all players that I watched growing up. So I'm going to go with old and new. But back then, I think the Mark Messier, I think, had the unofficial tag of being the best leader in hockey. And when he called his shot and said they were going to win in game seven against the Devils, the year they won the Cup, 93-94, I think, and he got a hat trick that game, and he guaranteed a win, was like stuff of Babe Ruth lore when he called his shot getting the home run. So... But it was Eisenman, though. I just liked the way he was classy about it. He was always professional, always team first. 
And you saw it. The proof was in the pudding. Towards the end of Eisenman's career, he took a role on the fourth line. Much like Jason Spezza, it said a lot to me that he did that. And he's playing this year for $750,000. Something to be said for that. Jason Spezza wasn't always a great leader like that. And early in his career, I would have said he was soft. But now he's jumping in for guys and playing for the minimum. And I really, really, really respect that. I wasn't always a huge Spezza fan. I had no reason not to like him. But I'm adding him to the mix. I think, you know, you're asking me about leader. And it's obvious with Connor McDavid and all that. But I'm telling you. I, I, I really think Jason Spezza is a great leader. I, I, now, I, I wouldn't have said it even five years ago. It wouldn't have popped into my head. The best, I don't know, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm going with Crosby. Um, so I didn't really finish the thought on Eisenman, but it, just everything he did in, in the last year, I remember he took one in the face and he came back, you know, he gave himself that fourth line role. And anyway, I just love Eisenman. And uh, today, yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to get a lot of shit from people who are big fans of, I don't know, who would it be, McDavid or Patrick Kane? Or, who are the great leaders? I mean, I, I would have said after Crosby, to be honest with you, Shea Weber, and he's not playing. I'm forgetting someone because the question was just asked to me, and I don't like to prepare these. So someone's going to go, you idiot, Nathan McKinnon, or whatever. And again, there could be arguments, but I'm going Crosby because he's Crosby and he's won. Okay, and until McDavid wins something, even two rounds, I can't really say he's the best leader, which why I couldn't say Mike Trout, because Trout is probably my favorite baseball player. And he seems to me to be a fucking fantastic leader. And he says all the right things and he, and he gets all the right stats. But if you don't make the playoffs, sorry. Um, anyway, yeah, and, and there, monkey wrench, Jason Spezza. But in this fucking day and age of me, 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 and money, 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 a fucking see a guy take the league minimum is refreshing. Okay, next question. Hey, Terry, name me your favorite album outside the Beatles. Hmm, from Harold in Gander, Newfoundland. Harold, if you're in Gander, you're probably a fan of the Flyers. And I loved playing senior hockey there for a couple of years with my good buddy, Aaron Ashton and company. Everybody was great in Gander. It was awesome. But uh, to play with Ash again, that was just a few years ago. It was a laugh. Um, okay, so I don't know. This changes because each week I get in a different mood. And I like that you said, and you assumed that my favorites are the Beatles, and they are favorites. My favorite album ever is probably Sgt. Pepper by the Beatles for a lot of reasons, and I won't get into it right now. And the next two would probably be Beatles albums as well. And yeah, they're great. But anyway, I'll get into that next week. I'm going to go with, so I also love the Stones. People think because I like the Beatles, I got something against the Rolling Stones and that couldn't be further from the truth. I love the Stones. I just don't think they're quite the band uh, creatively, at least, than the Beatles. As far as rock and roll and stage and longevity, all, yes. Just saying that if it wasn't for the Beatles, a lot of these other things, a lot, I don't think the Stones would have necessarily been the stones, right? They were pushing each other. And I've had this conversation before and it always ends up that I start going, these are the reasons that the Beatles in my mind are better, but fuck, it's all subjective. Listen to all of it. Um, and my favorite by the stones is called beggars banquet. Now in 1968, you know, that's when it started Beatles or stones kind of thing. Right. And to me, knowing the history of it, I could be, a lot of people would probably say I'm wrong here, but I think Beggar's Banquet was the album that did that. Uh, to me, Sympathy for the Devil. Because again, I think the Stones, I think blues, I think great rock and roll show, got some great tunes, but the Beatles started expanding, you know, with, with all kinds of ways in and out of the studio. They were, they were really stretching the parameters. But, and so they did that more than the Stones did, right? But... The Stones' Sympathy for the Devil is one of my favorite songs ever. And I think it's as deep, as good as anything the Beatles did. I, I, I really do. I, I know that's a large statement, but it's just, to me, it, it's the Stones at their best. Uh, my favorites are Street Fighting Man, Jigsaw Puzzle, God, Parachute Woman, 
but Sympathy for the Devil. If you haven't heard that album, I'm sure you've heard that song, but I know we got a lot of young listeners. Check it out. It's my favorite Stones album, probably in my top 10, might be my top 20 of all time. Again, the Beatles would have four in the top 10. I'd have to really sit here and think about it, but it's so subjective. There's no point talking about it. I, I'm just saying to me, there's a few, like I put Sympathy for the Devil with Bohemian Rhapsody, with American Pie, with A Day in the Life. Hey Jude, you know, the Beatles definitely have more songs that are, I think, groundbreaking. But to me, even as a kid, the first time I heard Sympathy for the Devil, I, I really, it just says so much. It's such a great rock song and the lyrics are deadly. And I think it's when the Stones started thinking outside the box. And yeah, I think it's one of the best albums ever. Hey, Terry, what do you think of Cole, Ca Cole Caulfield's resurgence under new head coach Marty St. Louis? This comes from McFly in Fort St. John. Okay, McFly. Um, sometimes you just need a change. And Caulfield's a good player. I, I still think people with the 40 and 50 goals expectations, just rethink what you're talking about. He's talented, but if you take those expectations away and just say he's a talented, uh, eager, confident first-round pick that has clearly scored, showed scoring touch in the NHL playoffs, which is the hardest part of the NHL, I think, you know, the law of averages. He, he's going to end up in a decent spot. Put him with some good players. He'll always do all right. 40 goals is a little much to say for a kid coming in. And I think because of those expectations last year and, you know, the team and personally, I think he overachieved a little bit and so did they. Um, but I think he'll get back there. I think Martin St. Louis, I mean, you know, he was a smallish forward. I remember playing against Martin St. Louis and St. John and when I was in Freddie. And I believe, like, I mean, there's a guy that won the NHL scoring is in the Hall of Fame. In the AHL, I, you look, well, I, I think he had like in 60 games, he had like 62 points. It's not like he scored a lot. I'm going to look it up now. Martin St. Louis took a while to, to take off. So, I mean, they have a lot in common, right? So I, that really doesn't surprise me. I think it would be good for him. And it's not necessarily bad on Ducharme, is it? The, the coach that was in before, but uh, it's not, that's, that's, I mean, they didn't have much to work with. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a bad statement about him as it is, you know, a good one for Martin St. Louis. I mean, he's a Hall of Fame guy that was very similar to Cole Caulfield that wants to give him a chance. I think it was a great move putting him in there. I mean, whoever it is, is going to lose more games than they're going to win. So do you bring in like this major coach right now? And especially like maybe an older guy. No, for me, I think it was a great pick. Now I'm looking, I remember playing against Martin St. Louis there in 97, 98 AHL. 25 games, 26 points. Uh, then he got called up to Calgary 98, 99. Okay. Remember that too. My second year in the A, I remember he was there 53 games, 28 goals, 62 points. 28 goals, 34, 6, 62 points. So this guy in 53 games in the American Hockey League as a 22-year-old now had 63 points, barely over a point a game. But, you know, Tampa Bay traded for him. Um, 40 points the next year, 78 games in the NHL, 53 games, 35 points, 82-70, then 82-94. Two years later, he wins the NHL scoring. That is, and there, even Martin St. Louis, he's a Hall of Famer, one year more than 40 goals. So relax your horses on Caulfield, everybody, your expectations, sorry. Hold your horses on the expectation. Because, um, I, yeah, I think he's a good player. Just let it play out. Am I going to say he's a great player? He had a great playoff last year. He's got a great college career. But, you know, that's left to be said. But I, I think if anybody's going to deal with it, it's going to be St. Louis. And he had the same kind of problem. Look at his stats, like I just said. From, I mean, full year in the A, barely over a point a game. I mean, Eric Hood had more than that that year. Right? But he stuck with it. The team traded for him that loved him. Now, Caulfield doesn't need that because the team that he plays for loves him. But I, I do think it was a, a, a nice move to bring St. Louis in for all the young guys. And why, what are Montreal playing for? For me, they're probably playing the tank and get the first pick if they can. And it's, it's hard to balance tanking 
I mean, without trying, trying, you know what I'm saying? And trying to give a positive perspective to your young players. So I don't care. It could be Wayne Gretzky. It could be Shea Weber, like who everybody loves. But if you're, if you're, if, if, if you've been the coach for years on end, I guess Ducharme wasn't years on end. It was a couple of, but their, their situation is unique. But if, if, if you've been tanking and the team doesn't seem like it's playing for the coach anymore, and that's what it looked like. It could be after five games. It could be after 50. It could be after a couple of years. But there seemed to be nowhere to go. So you make a move to, to just change your luck a little bit, right? Re, re, reconfigure things because they're expected to lose. Why not lose with, um, you know, a little bit of positivity into our younger players and older. But I think, I think it's known the older guys who are putting in an effort that are worth something will get traded and they're going young and they're going to rebuild. And I think with Suzuki and, and with uh, God Caulfield and Romanoff and players like that, I think they're going in the right place, but I think it's going to be like four or five years before they're, have any chance to get back where they were just eight or nine months ago. But that's what I think. I could be wrong. Teams suck though sometimes, right? And Montreal's been mediocre ever since I was there. They've been either mediocre or have like a flash in the pan year like last year. But even that was after a mediocre year. A few years they've been what, maybe 10th? Like they they really have been but if you if you really fucking tank, ask Pittsburgh and ask Chicago. Um you know, if you really get to the bottom of the bottom, then you're guaranteed to get some good picks. And if you manage, if you manage your picks well, which I think they have been recently, recently, um, I think they'll be all right. But you know, it's it's tough for people in big markets to have patience. Ask New York Yankees fans; they they don't they never want to hear the word rebuild again, right? Nor do they in Toronto, nor do they in Montreal with the Habs or the Leafs or whatever. But you know, that's the way it goes. That's simply the way it goes. And uh, I think all the young guys will make off a little bit better with, uh, by the end of this season anyway, with San Luis as coach. Now, next year, that starts to get old. So you, you got to start at least having an improvement. You can't go nine and 70 fucking four or 73 next year, 72. Jesus, do your math. Can't have nine wins next year. Is that what I'm saying? Got to improve on it. Are they expected to make the playoffs? Nope. I don't think definitely not this year, obviously, but I don't even think next. I think you get the first pick overall or hope to give yourself the best odds and go from there. Hey, Terry, do you think kids should go to major junior or should they go to college or neither? From Kyle in New Liskard, Ontario. I've been to New Liskard for exhibition games with the Habs and Leafs. Rookie exhibition games. It was a shit show on the ice. A nice place, though. Um, that question depends on the player. I've, I've said it back. Uh, oh, just one second. One second. I had to plug the computer in. It's dying. Okay, sorry about that. Um, or Jazz College or Major Junior. Yeah, I mean, those are the roots. Uh, you know, everybody's different. I, I just, there's so many different sizes. There's so many different shapes. There's different options. I mean, what, what are your options? If, if, if I'm offered a contract or, or a spot on the team in one and just trying for the other, I mean, you know, you're probably going to go where the spot is. Um, am I small and don't like rough stuff? I probably won't pick the Western Hockey League. Uh, uh, do I want my schooling? And, you know, hockey is nice to fall back on. Do I want, you know, then I'd probably go college, but people don't realize, do I want to give it a shot and then go to school? People don't realize a lot of people that you play major junior, you get your schooling paid for. If you want to go, well, for each year you get generally, although there are exceptions, I made sure to get it all paid for, but um, for each year you play, you get a free year at Canadian university and people generally play three, four, five years, major junior, right? You can do that. And some people have that worked in as a junior a play. I mean, there's just, there's all kinds of junior players getting getting free schooling. So it's not always the obvious. People say, well, you know, if you go college, then you're going to learn. And if you go major junior, you're an idiot. It's not the case. 
And it, as each passing year happens, it's, it's more and more valid that someone that wants to go to school can easily play major junior. But on the other side of it, um, there was less and less players the further back you go. Like it was, it was definitely major junior if you were a good blue chip prospect when I was that age. There was the odd outlier that went to college, but I don't even need to look. There was 26 teams in the league when I got drafted and look where all, they, they all came from. Um, very little. I, I'm, I'm trying to think of one from college. There's none in the top 10 that come to my mind. So things change, right? And um, it's an evolution, but it, it, you know, it depends what age you are. Why would I go to major junior if I'm 19 years old? Um, yeah, there's just, it, it's, it's hit or miss. It's, and it's, that's a bad way to put it. it each, each player is different. If, if it was me, I would sit down with the player, see what he or she wants. Um, you know, what, what are their attributes? What are they good at? How big are they? How mature are they? Do they want to leave now? How are they? Do they have it in them to leave in grade 11, leave all their friends in high school and go to Rwanda, Naranda where they don't speak the language and go out there and work every day and know that you might get a cross check in the nose and keep going. Okay. Then that changes the conversation. If, if, if you weren't ready for that and you like the cage versus the visor and you don't want to fight and you just want to improve on your skill and you, you want to be, Maybe it's a school that you want to be an engineer and they're, they're, they're especially, or maybe what, what's it RPI with the, uh, the tech stuff, you know, what is that RPI? I forget what the first word stands for, but I know it's a polytechnic Institute. I know that. So like, if you want to be an architect, right, you're, you, you, that would, influence me if if i was lucky to get a scholarship and i was pumped i mean i want to make the nhl but i want to go hey i get free schooling and i get to go to rpi which, you know i get to i want to be an architect and they're going to make me a specialist like that would really appeal to me why would i want to go to Kamloops and play in the western hockey league if, if, if i wanted to be an architect and i was wasn't looking at the nhl not every single player that plays you got to remember is thinking nhl People don't realize that because if you're outside the box and you're looking in, you're assuming that every single player that you look at wants to play in the National Hockey League. And it's not the case at all. Some people uh, ask Christian Dubé. Look at that guy. He was a huge major junior player, got drafted fairly high, came out my year. He led the Quebec League in scoring, if I'm not mistaken. He went, he tried it. He went to New York, but he had roots in France and he wanted to go over there. And he plays in France uh, only until a couple of years ago, I believe. He did a great career over there. But he didn't really want the limelight. And he's like, hmm, I'll make decent money over here, which he did. Six figures, tax-free. But it wasn't, you know, into him, the NHL, I played there. I think he played like one year and he did all right. I remember he got off to a crazy start, like five goals in eight games or something. We were all proud of him. We knew him. And I don't know him well. I met him a few times, obviously. But uh, World Junior Camp and stuff, I'd say hi if I saw him. But, you know, it's just not, not everybody's thinking that. So... And, and now there's more and more options and more and more plate and the place would matter, right? If, if you don't think you're going to make the NHL again, I went into it as a super prospect, agree or disagree. That's what I was. So I, in my mind, it was always NHL, but I played with all kinds of guys in camp that were like, yeah, man, I'd like to get a couple of years in and then go to university of Manitoba or whatever. You know, not everybody was saying, fuck, if New Jersey doesn't draft me, I'm going to kill myself. You know, like, and, and I think, when you think like that and you realize that it, the most realistic thing is a springboard to an education. I say that to everybody. Not everybody's going to make the NHL. The odds are against you. Even if you're good enough, they're still against you. There's only so many jobs, right? You got to stay uninjured. You got to get through the whole booze and drugs. You got to not be homesick for your girlfriend. You got to, it all got to work. You got to go to a team that the coach plays you. You got to play and then hope that nobody else on that team bumps you down. you there's so much shit that got to go into place for you to go. Now, if you're a super duper McDavid or even a, you know, a great player, like, you know, I played with Damon Lankow. I don't think he was going to get denied. He was upper echelon of, of talent, right? Um, I mean, you could argue about me, but I got, you know, I played because I had that first round status. So they wanted to see, I mean, both parties probably didn't play it the right way, but I got there, right? It's hard for a lot of players to get there. 
right? And, and again, the big thing, I could have got, I could have broken my leg in my draft year. Then I'm the exact same player, but no one would have known it. And I probably, you know, oh, we'll take a chance on Ryan. You know, he was already in a decent 16-year-old year. Maybe we'll take him in the eighth round, right? That happens to a lot of people. Ask Michael Ryder, one of the best scorers ever. I mean, come on, we're talking Newfoundlanders. Michael Ryder, it didn't matter where he went. Rides that shot, and he ended up in Hull uh, Gatineau playing major junior um, and, you know, was quickly developed into a scorer. But he was just looking for an opportunity, you know? Put rides in northern Michigan. I don't give a fuck. Omaha and the United States, wherever you put him, he was going to show you that that fucking shot was a laser, and it's it's it has to play in the NHL, right? But some people are hard workers, two-way players, buddy of mine, Clark Bishop, you know, real good major junior and, and played his cards right and, and a real good leader and hitter and in pro, not the most prolific scorer, but he's a good two-way player. And he's got games in Ottawa this year. He played in Carolina the first 20 games a couple of years ago. He's knocking on the door, right? But um, there's a lot of players like that and everything has to go right. And like I say, man, I'm living proof of it. Injuries, uh, choices. I mean, it's just so vague and, and you, you just never know. So to me, not only is it a judgment call, but it starts with how much does the team want you? Because again, leaving, it's not usually about, I wouldn't start thinking about the NHL if I was a kid. I'd think about what was in front of me. I'd worry about myself. And I'd go, okay, what's better to put me in position? Now, what am I? What am I here? I'm, you know, let's see. I went uh, seventh round of the Quebec League. Okay. Okay, let's see. Uh, who's calling? Harvard? Oh, Harvard are calling Ivy League? Let's look at that first. Or, you know, NCAA Division Three, uh, University of Southern Ozarks. Well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll give Halifax Mooseheads a try, you know? So... Now, more than ever, there is no clear cut answer for that question. Um, if anybody is actually curious about a prospect and you want to know, I mean, I don't work as an agent or anything, but I do get a lot of players from around here away. I give them advice and um, it's not part of my job or anything, but I would I would give you an honest answer what I would think. Am I always right? No, but I've seen a bit. And as a player and as a scout and as a friend at this point. I think I can give good input on each player and, and where they probably should go given their opportunities. And okay, Jesus, I, I probably only answered four questions, um, but I am running out of time because we're, we're my, my dad and I are guesting right now coming up on Sean McMorrow, the sheriff's podcast. It's three Oh two. We're guests at, at three uh, 30. So what I'm going to do, I just, I, I swear to you, everybody listening, I got no reason to lie and I never do. Um, to you guys anyway i just flipped open my book and i'm going to give myself some rapid fire randoms okay these were given to somebody else let's see let's see who had these at some point so craig rivet rivy was on my show months and months ago probably half a year ago so i haven't looked at these since but i made them for him and i can adjust them for myself point being i don't really want to know but I know you guys, a lot of you like the rapid fire random and it will probably never happen that it's turned back on me. So here's the opportunity. Okay, death row meal. I ask this every fucking time. It's one of the only questions I asked every time. I'm going to get specific. Every night for the first spell, and I mean my first camp in Montreal, every single night I ate it 14 times in a row. And when Jeremy Charles, my good buddy, the chef, moved and, and, and up there and me and Asham had to, had to spend the summers, my go-to was at a place on Crescent Street in Montreal, which is a wild street, called Weinstein and Gavino, or Gavino. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. I think Gavino, so Weinstein and Gavino. It had a nice upstairs with a deck overlooking Crescent Street. It's just, it's still one of my favorite spots to eat. And the restaurant actually is, it still has decent food after all these years. It's very, pretty much the same. Um, Montreal, there's a lot of nice places to go, but I did, this is, it's a little busy because it's in the middle of Crescent Street. Um, my second choice would be Gibby's in Old Montreal Steakhouse, but definitely the Tortellini Rosé in, uh, in Weinstein and Gavino's. Yeah, great memories. It's not always about the taste of the food, although it is my favorite meal, 
but just every, you know, it puts me in a good place. Even when I smell the sauce, rosé sauce, um, it always takes me to when I was, I guess, coming of age, you know, boy turning into a man in uh, downtown Montreal with my buddies while, albeit a short time, you know, I had a, I, I was on the Montreal Canadiens. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a fantastic, just a great memory. It's a great memory. Um, superpower. I think my first instinct would be to say fly like a lot of people, but someone I can't remember who gave one answer. There's the, uh, the ability to teleport wherever immediately. And I would, uh, that's what I would want to do. I love traveling and um, much like my dad at night, I often peruse YouTube, just like those walking tours of cities. So, you know, I, I really enjoy those. I spend a few hours a week on walking tours of cities all over the world on YouTube. So, yeah, that would be great if I could just go, boom, uh, you know, check it out. Check out Amsterdam while I've been there. Uh, check out Hong Kong or wherever. Fucking Papua New Guinea. Yeah, that would be what I'd like if you could, if that could be an option as a superpower. You have to be a movie character on Sundays, a movie character. And on Sundays, Sundays would matter, wouldn't it? Because of the day of the week. Normally, I'm guessing it's Sunday, so I'm not working in a regular nine to five normal world. So that's where I'm going to put myself in this hypothetical. And what movie character? I mean, I would always go to Clint Eastwood first, the man with no name in the good, the bad, and the ugly trilogy. But I mean, I think it's just because he's cool. Would, would he really be the guy you want to be on Sunday? I mean, I don't know. He's got no wife or kids. Hey, Penny Lane, go fuck yourself. Like, you know, I, I don't know. Not that he would be. Yeah, that's a bad way to put it. Um, no, but you know what I mean? Like the man with no name. I mean, he's good with a gun. And he's fighting guys who are equally as corrupt. But do I want to be him? I don't know. Guy pisses you off at the grocery store. You take out your Colt 45 and blow his fucking brains out. Huh. But I still got to be a movie character. Okay. God damn it. I was going to say Spider-Man, but that's a terrible answer. You know what? Fuck it. I'll be Reggie Dunlop from Slapshot. Right. I'm an aging hockey player as it is. I wear some of the same clothes he wears. So I guess I'd just be a relaxed version. He's much more relaxed. I'd be a relaxed version of part of myself, I guess. If Slapshot's what we're judging him on, you know, he was a decent leader, albeit a little bit fucked up. But I don't know. I guess that's I pick someone who's similar to me. I'd need more time. No wonder people struggle with these. Sometimes they're hard. Every Tuesday from noon to 10 p.m., you have to make an animal sound. What would it be? Snake. Snake. I think I'd freak people out. It's not, it wouldn't, it'd just be annoying. Yeah, uh, I guess a snake slithers. Fuck. No, take that back. Snake's a stupid answer. Um, sheep, I guess. I'm sick of moose. There's cows out in a farm close to my house. Sheep, I mean, it's going to be annoying either way, right? But if I'm a cat, the meows are going to keep coming. Sheep, they make that bad sound, but it's. I, I think it's spaced out like five minutes in between. I don't think they're doing it all the time. And a snake would be slithering all the time. I think it would constantly, I think that would get old. Dog bark, cute for a minute, and then fuck. Give me my headphones. They're sheep. Bad, bad black sheep. Okay, no numbers. There's three letters on my jersey. What would they be? No numbers on my jersey, three letters. Oh, my. Um T-R, but what? Three letters. Oh, my God. What would I pick? 
TNT there for lack of a better way to put it. Uh, I was going to think about it years ago, opening some business with my dad, Terry and Terry TNT. So I, I can't think of, I'm not going to spell a word like cat or dog on my Jersey. And if I had to pick three letters, I, I just know, you know, a letter and a number, even two letters and a number TR nine or something like that. You could justify it. Three letters, man. I can't think. Oh, you know what? They're either TWJ or TWT or something. My, my name is Terrence William James Ryan. So T TRJ, Terry Ryan Jr. Boom, TRJ. Had to think about that. Sorry for wasting your time. Okay. Your favorite 70s song. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to omit all the obvious. Okay, so it won't be my favorite. I'm going to give you a 70s song that I like. That would be, I suppose, something that will always be on a playlist. Uh, Sultans of Swing, Dire Straits, uh, 1978, I believe. If not, I'd go with Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen. Those two pop into my head. Of course, I could go the disco route, Don't Stop Till You Get Enough by the Jacksons, like that one. Um, you know, the Beatles had uh, songs in 1970. That was their last, you know, and then you got George Harrison, What Is Life? And, you know, I'm going to go with what I said. Fuck, I could sit here and, I mean, their songs. One is not necessarily better than the other. That's what I'm going with. Sultan's a Swing and uh, Born to Run. And they're, the message, I also, their hip-hop started to come into play. Rap started to come into play. And Grandmaster Flash has an absolute classic called The Message. Those would be my three. Um, what's your, okay, nope, nope, nope. Being, being in that, these were for Craig specifically. What NHL player are you glad you never fought? For me, that's Tony Twist. Um, for obvious reasons, but uh, I fought a lot of tough guys and nearly got into it with Probert, and I don't think that would have fared all right, but I know he would have beaten me, but Twist at the time was built like a machine. He was one of the guys that was just go out there and fight, don't do anything else. I'm guessing he was on steroids by the look of him. If he wasn't, then he had an unbelievable knack for putting on crazy superhero-like cartoonish weight and they say that he could break your orbital bone with a punch a lot of guys could but he just to me looked unmanageable i don't know how i would go about it um hey would you cut off a something for a money tree that pays 25 or would you cut off a toe and something knows would you cut off a toe for a money tree that pays twenty-five thousand? To 25,000 a month, okay, to three generations. 25,000 a month is, in any world, I find that it's like, I, I would now, I don't think I'd ever get more extravagant than that. 25,000 a month would be 300,000 a year, I guess. Yeah. Of course, there's lots, but in today's day and age, it's probably not as much as it sounds like, but that is to me, I don't know. Maybe I'm climatized to my situation, but that would be enough for me to cut off a toe. Of course I would. That's a bad question. A fucking toe. I would consider cutting off a leg for that. You know, three generations. It means my kids and everything are taken care of. Um, and you're never sure. Yes, I have confidence in myself. Hopefully I turn all this into something more. Hopefully Shorzy goes on a 20-year run and everybody's fucking happy. And, and, you know, it's rainbows and fucking pina coladas for the rest of my life. But I don't know that. And what I know is that for my daughter and her kids, $25,000 a month, yes. How many fish burgers have you eaten? Too many to count. Uh, the, my favorite burger at McDonald's is the filet fish I often have double filet fish I've, I've had four at one time. I've had a lot. Um, how long did it take to use a one-piece? I used a one-piece stick. Um, Took me a few years, yeah. Not right when it came out. I was one of those guys. No, the wood has got a better feel, and it's 
And finally, one day I used one and my shot was like 10 miles an hour faster and I went with it immediately. Um, how many triple burgers have I eaten? A few. Myself and a teammate, Jason Hedges, had a few years ago when, when they would come out with the Baconator and these. There was, um, was that it? There was one somewhere, not the Baconator, but it was, it was like, it was crazy. It was, maybe it was Wendy's the, the first time they came out with the triple burger, but we, uh, we would always try those. I think, was it Kentucky Fried had one where the, the buns were like fried chicken? I, anyway, I can't remember. The heart attack burger, whatever. I always try those just to say I did it. So how many triple burgers realistically? Probably 10 in my entire life. Would you go into space if given the opportunity? I've thought about this. I've gone both ways on it. But now I know I would, yes. If it's an opportunity. It's like stand-up comedy. I didn't want to do it. I really didn't. But Jerry D asked me to do it. And, you know, it was in Oshawa. It's like 5,000 people, four or 5,000. I was extremely nervous. Did I want to do it? No. But I got the opportunity, and I wouldn't be able to live with myself had I not tried it. So if someone came to me now and said, hey, you want to go into space? I'd say sign me up because I think it would suck to live with the option or the knowledge that I didn't. If I had a TV dog, which one would it be? <sighs> TV dog. Ah. Hmm. God damn it. I, I think I'm stumped. Oh, uh, Scooby-Doo by Landslide. I'm trying to think of other TV dogs. Nothing comes close to Scooby-Doo. Uh, which Smurf would you, which, which Smurf would be a pretty good guy? Well, I think Papa Smurf, he's the leader of the bunch. He would have to, with all that knowledge. It seems like all the other Smurfs have like a talent, but then like a major flaw. And Papa Smurf just seems to have it going on. Three of your favorite things about St. John's. Well, this was three of your favorite things about Buffalo. Uh, three of your favorite things about St. John's. Jesus. Uh, Newfoundland extension. Uh, the people, definitely. Uh, I like the history in St. John's. It's the oldest city in North America, and there's a lot to do, especially in the summer. There's a lot to do, especially the last couple summers. COVID sucked, yes, but we shut down our downtown when it comes to traffic, and people started putting patios out. It was just part of like trying to get over the hump and entertain people. So, And when it all came in, to fruition man a couple of years ago first time it's awesome so down if, if you've been to st john's duckworth street and water street are for the most part all blocked off in the summer uh and you can't being in that you can't drive on them but you can walk on them and it's just it's so vibrant i love st john's anyway i mean i wouldn't keep coming back i've had an opportunity to live all over the world and i keep coming back now of course my daughter's here and that wouldn't change but in a perfect world whereby Everybody, if she grows up healthy and happy and, you know, the same goes for Danielle, again, my ex-wife, but we're on the same page. We're, we're, we're still a family. And, you know, just if things go well, I would still make my home here. You know, it's home. I love that. My family's here and my friends. So, so the people that, that would come there, definitely the, the history of it. And um, what else do I love about St. John's? I love that one thing, the people, but I love our reputation and not in that it used to be, you know, the Newfie joke. And, but I think now that there's been more tourism and, you know, we've got pro hockey teams and pro basketball teams. And so more and more people come here every year from Canada and elsewhere. I think we had a reputation of, you know, it's a, it's a decent little spot to visit. It's, you know, the, the, the people are to me are, and to me, I'm saying to me, not, not to anybody else looking at it, but they've treated me well. They've given me opportunities I've got great support here, um, and most of the smiles and laughs that I've had in my lifetime are in this city. So my favorite three things necessarily won't be your favorite three things, but that's what I really love about it. The familiar, familiar, familiarity um, that I have with it, and that's friends, family, you know, the, the whole city as a whole I, I can go anywhere and feel comfortable and it takes a while there's only so many places in the world that i can do that and um you know saint john's has for the most part treated me well okay final question for myself 
what do I always ask? Yeah, what would be my favorite? So I'm, I'm always gonna, I'm gonna restructure this question because every time I say, give me your favorite line of all time, it's usually Lemieux or, or Lemieux or, and Gretzky are all always involved. And usually Gordy Howe are Canadian. So I'm taking out Gretzky or Lemieux, Howe, and every Montreal Canadian. Now that makes it harder. Now, who would I want? Like, be, be, again, because of growing up and loving Steve Eisenman, I'm going to put Eisenman on the right side. I, I know he's a centerman, but I'm going to put him there. He's a forward. I can put him wherever I want. And I'm going to put Sidney Crosby at center. I think Crosby's, both those guys are two-way too, right? They can really snipe, but I don't know. Think about it. Even if you're young and you play PlayStation and, you know, you, if that's your only experience in managing teams, think about it. If you put Crosby, Eisenman out there with, now you, who I'm going to say next, I'll get not recency bias, but bias with my career because he was prominent the whole time. But I, I'm putting Mark Messier there. I, I, whoever I'm playing against, I want to be gritty. And, you know, I'd love to say like Bob Probert, but I don't think he's quite good enough to be on my first team ever. Right. Uh, I could go back. You guys like when I mentioned Cyclone Taylor, I'll do it again, but I just don't know. I didn't see him. And that goes for Eddie Shore and even Bobby Hall. Like dad picked Bobby Hall. I could look at his stats, but I don't know. They, they look phenomenal. But in my little lineup, I'm going to go with a bit of grit. Guys who can score that will also play both ways. And Messier might even cross check your teeth out. Not that each one of them are fighters, but if they had to, they would mix it up for you. Uh, so that's it for me. It's Iserman, it's Crosby, and it's Marc Messier. Um, defense. I'm going to go with Nicholas Lidstrom. Again, that's biased to my era, but fuck, man, I don't know. I, I can't pick Orr, and I can't pick any Canadians. Uh, he was just, he was fucking incredible to watch. Jesus, Scott Niedermeyer. Fuck it, Chris Pronger. It's going to be Niedermeyer, Coffee, or Lidstrom in that one spot. Okay, it's going to be Niedermeyer, Coffee, or Lidstrom. And I'm slightly, slightly going with Lidstrom ahead of the other two. It's only slight, but I'm doing it. It's just in the end of it, I think the other two might pinch a slight bit more and most of the time yes they're unbelievable but i think he lidstrom would be the most defensively sound in the end they're all great they're all obviously hall of fame guys that's who i'm taking i'm taking lidstrom and i'm taking chris pronger because he's a mean motherfucker and he's one of the best defensemen ever who do i put in the net you're gonna ask hey tr who the fuck do i put in the net I'm going to put Dominic Hasek in the net. I'm going to put Dominic Hasek. I, I think people are forgetting how fucking good he was. Uh, I, I know. Didn't he get the Hart Trophy one year? I mean, that, how many goalies do that? Vesna every year he was up for it. And, like, I just – what's standing out is the year – it was either 97, 98, or 98, 99, or one of those years that Buffalo went to the Stanley Cup final. They had absolutely no business being there. And they went to the Stanley fucking cup final and, and it was Dominic Hasek, but he was like that his whole career. And he was reflexive. He wasn't like, like he came in in the era that people started to wear the big gear, right? The Jean Sebastian G gear. There's to cut down the angle and I'm going to have my gear bigger than everybody else's. And not that G gear couldn't play could, but you know, if you're going to let me use the biggest gear, I'm going to do it. And people started to use that as an advantage. That's Marty B. Rohn, an analyst now, uh, Liberto Luongo, all kinds of guys did, but other guys, Martin Berter kept his small pads. Uh, Corey Crawford is a recent guy was reflexive. Well, Dominic Hasek was reflexive. He was all over the net. He, of course, his sense brought him to the right angling, but he was very reflexive and just an absolute, you could watch him. Like I'd, I'd watch games just to watch Dominic Hasek. So there, that's it. This has been Tales with TR, episode 91. Now episode 91 might even come out tomorrow. I'm going to try to make this happen. I apologize guys again. I did have Jason McDonald lined up and um, I believe it was on his end. And he told me that going in and uh, it's my fault. Wedgwood Cafe, check it out. Catering, Edinburgh Elizabeth Avenue, awesome place to visit uh, or get catering. Uh, TJ's uh, Pub, 
awesome place. George Street, check it out. Always got great specials. Um, I loved it. I ran that place for a couple of years and had an awesome time doing it. Trinity Pub, Bull and Barrel, uh, both ends of George Street. Great spots to visit. Why not go in? If you're going to be here, check it out. They're both places got awesome music. And uh, once in a while, Trinity even got some food in there to serve you. Uh, and of course, Green Sleeves downtown and uptown. Check them out, folks. Green Sleeves downtown is one of my favorite spots in the world. Always got great live music at both places. Check it out. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Sorry about the guests, but uh, we'll have one again very soon for you guys. This has been episode 91 of Tales with Tear. See you guys again real soon. And thanks for tuning in.